Welcome to the History 20 Podcast, where we will cover important historical topics in 20-minute or less chunks. Today's episode, we're going to look at the Cuban Missile Crisis, and specifically, we're going to examine the question of who won and who lost. Before we get into this big picture question, let's just go back through a brief overview of what happened during the Cuban Missile Crisis to refresh our memories. So the Cuban Missile Crisis is a 13-day standoff that occurred in October of 1962. Uh, long story short, the United States, through NATO, already had uh, missiles placed in Turkey that would have been able to strike the Soviet Union attached with nuclear warheads. The Soviet Union uh, secretly placed missiles in Cuba with the same capability to strike the United States. And when the United States realized that this was happening, we ended up with what became the Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh, the United States and Soviet Union had a standoff, U.S. demanding the removal of the missiles from Cuba. And for quite a while, it looked like uh, the world really was on the brink of another major war, this one with potential nuclear ramifications, which could mean the end of all life on Earth as we know it. So fortunately, as we're still here today and you're listening to my voice right now, that did not happen. Uh, end result in terms of the facts, not the winners or losers, uh, the Soviet Union did in fact remove their missiles from Cuba. A few months later, the U.S. quietly removed their missiles from uh, Turkey, and so there was a, a slight easing of tensions on both sides. In order to prevent war from happening, cooler heads prevailed. Now, when we look at this topic and we talk about winners and losers, I think it's important that first we try to define what a winner or loser even is, uh, right? This is one of those things where history, a large part of making sense of it is understanding perspective. And what you view as a victory might not be a loss for somebody else, right? If we take uh, the American Revolution, for example, uh, in the U.S., you know, this is celebrated as uh, you know, a major victory over the British Empire, the, the strongest empire of the world at the time. Uh, and, and, you know, it is a big deal. It's the founding of the country. However, if you look at this from the other perspective for the British, yes, they lost the American colonies, but at that point they had colonies all over the world. It was kind of, you know, they still had India, they had places uh, in Africa, they had places in Asia, they, right? They have stuff all over the place. Uh, so this, A, kind of diminishes the uh, hurt of that loss. Yeah, so it was a loss, but it wasn't such a big deal to them as it was a big deal to the Americans in terms of a win. And secondly, part of the reason that the British lost is because they have forces all over the world that they had to try to keep uh, in different places in order to keep control of the territory that they had. So it's not like the Americans were taking on the full might of the British Empire. So right, all this stuff uh, really comes down to perspective in terms of who is a winner, who is a loser, and to what extent are these sides winning and losing. So these are things we should bear in mind. So let's start by looking at this from the U.S. point of view, and we need to start by asking the question of what would constitute a victory in this situation? What would make them a winner? 
And so our number one goal, if we're looking at it from that point of view, is the removal of those missiles from Cuba. So in that regard, uh, unquestionably, the U.S. is a winner in this situation. Now, I don't say the winner, because this isn't necessarily, um, you know, a sporting event or something where there can only be one winner. You can have multiple winners, uh, and there, you know, there's degrees to which these sides may be classified as winners as well. It's not just black and white. Uh, and you really have three sides that we're looking at here. You have the U.S., you have the Soviet Union, and you have Cuba itself, which is, you know, the area in the middle of all this. So, again, the U.S., we're going to start off by declaring them a winner because the missiles are taken out of Cuba. Right, but let's look at the other things going on here. Uh, so they get what they want. However, this comes at the cost of removing those missiles they had in Turkey that were capable of striking the Soviet Union. So is that does the, how much does that take away from their stance as being a winner? This is a serious question because let's think about the implications. Before the Cuban Missile Crisis started, the United States had a very clear advantage in nuclear warfare capability because they could strike the Soviet Union with those missiles from Turkey, and the Soviets had no way to make such a quick strike against the U.S. So we're kind of, right, we're, we're going down our scale now in terms of their winners, but how much are they winners? Because overall, the end of this whole situation, their position has actually been weakened. Right? So kind of bear that in mind as, as we think about, are they winners? Maybe they're not winners or losers, or are they losers? Maybe you view because at the end of this, they've actually had a reduction in their strategic strength, that they're actually losers in the situation. That's a fair enough point. And so if we flip this to the other side and look at the main adversary here, which is the Soviet Union, and we ask ourselves the same question, what would constitute winning in this situation? Well, we have right, kind of the opposite end of the spectrum from the American point of view, we really have kind of two different answers. Uh, one of which, right, if, if something makes the Americans a winner, it makes the Soviets a loser and vice versa. So uh, maintaining those missiles in Cuba would definitely be a big victory for the Soviet Union. And at the end of the day, they do not do this. So you could argue, especially the way this appears on the international stage, it makes them look like they have lost especially because it was not made public knowledge that the U.S. was going to remove their missiles from Turkey. So on the surface level, to the common person looking at the situation, it looks like the Soviet Union backed down from the Americans. Uh, and so this is a serious negative blow to the Soviet Union and their public image, um, certainly. Right? We take into account the other thing, though. They did achieve getting the Americans to remove those missiles from Turkey, even if it wasn't put out in public the way that the missiles from Cuba were. And so, right, it, in that hand, to some extent, they may be a winner. Because at the end of the Cuban Missile Crisis, the Soviet Union's position is actually more secure than it was before the crisis. So even though they lost the battle, if you want to call it that, in Cuba itself, they've actually gained strategic strength at the end of the whole crisis. So this is why I think when we start thinking about things like this, we can see winning and losing is a very complicated thing to try to answer in these situations. And there's not just one right answer. And even when you do have an answer, it's not, you know, there's different extents to, to which 
you're going to have your responses to that. And so this is really what history is all about. The Cuban Missile Crisis happened. It's interesting to watch the stuff about it and learn about it, sure. But the discussions, the, the things that, you know, if, if this were, you know, the 1960s and you're talking over this with somebody at a bar, right, you're not, you're not just going to recount what happened. You're going to talk about, well, who won? So our big players in here, you could argue the case for either side and be totally valid in what you have to say. And that's going to take us to our third player in this whole thing, which is the country of Cuba itself. Now, Cuba, just to give a little more context on the background here, uh, after the Spanish-American War, uh, Cuba became a, I'm putting up air quotes here, independent country. Uh, but thanks to the Platt Amendment, the U.S. essentially had the right to intervene in Cuban affairs whenever it felt that it was necessary. So Cuba was independent However, they could not do things that the U.S. didn't like. Uh, and so it was a very popular place for American tourists. Americans owned a lot of the businesses in Cuba. Um, and they also supported leaders who supported American policies, kind of uh, no matter how good or bad those leaders may have been. And so eventually Cuba hits a breaking point under uh, the rule of Batista and Castro leads a revolution. Uh, the U.S. stops backing Batista uh, and Castro overtakes Cuba. And at first, uh, the U.S. and uh, Castro's regime uh, are not necessarily instantly enemies. Uh, the historical debate is out there about whether Castro was a communist all the way from the beginning or whether this is something that happened as a result of kind of his interaction with the U.S. and how things went is really hard to say. Uh, but to kind of fast forward things here, uh, move forward a little bit. After Kennedy comes into office, he inherits the plan for the uh, Bay of Pigs invasion. He gives it the okay, fails miserably. Uh, Castro, however, is, you know, I mean, he's already kind of uh, on the lookout for uh, attempts by the U.S. to thwart his progress or to see his regime overthrown. And this just adds more fuel to the fire. It's a major embarrassment for the United States. And it pushes this and, and other things, trade embargoes, that as a result of uh, Cuban nationalization of American businesses, uh, kind of pushes these Cubans into a closer relationship with the Soviet Union. Right. Uh, if they're not going to do business with the U.S., who's the next biggest power in the world and who would love more than anything to be allies with a country like 90 miles off the coast of the United States, that would be the Soviet Union, right? And so, again, this is one of those things like, is Castro really a communist from the beginning or does he kind of become communist as a result of all this and building better relations with the Soviets? But I'm kind of digressing because that's another discussion point. So... They get close relations, and this in turn kind of leads us down the road of the Soviet Union putting the nuclear missile silos into Cuba. So when we look at Cuba in terms of are they a winner or a loser, 
Uh, on the surface level, if, if we don't really look at this uh, in in detail, it would appear that they're a loser in the situation because, right, the missiles are taken out of Cuba, and so uh, they're kind of weakened, maybe, in terms of, of their defense capabilities, right? Even though they weren't their nuclear weapons, they were based in, in Cuba. Uh, but one of the agreements that comes out of the ending of the Cuban Missile Crisis is that uh, the U.S. promises to leave Cuba alone. So on that regard, I mean, the, Cuba is a, you know, maybe a, a very big winner here because this is certainly, uh, if not Castro's biggest concern, it's somewhere near the top of the list, is is the U.S. going to try to have him taken down one way or another? So the U.S. promises uh, that they will stay out of Cuban affairs if those missiles are taken out. So, um, you know, again, depends on how you view these things. And that's the fun part of all this, right, is everybody can be right. Uh, but I think there's certainly an argument to be made here that perhaps the biggest victor in all of this is Cuba because they come out on a much stronger position than they were before. Um, now, kind of would like to point out that, right, uh, during the stuff that was happening during the crisis, Castro wasn't really involved with the things that were going on. It was really an issue between Kennedy and the U.S. government uh, and Khrushchev and the Soviet government. Castro wasn't really being consulted on, on the discussions going on or anything like that. Uh, but end of the day, uh, for Castro's regime, kind of a great result because they become more secure, as evidenced by the fact that that really was the last of any major U.S. interference in Cuba, right? Uh, even today, as, as you know, August 24th, 2020, as I'm recording this right now, uh, Cuba is still one of the re last remaining communist countries in the world. Uh, and so we can kind of see the long-term results of that. So we're going to end this right there, right? This is just some food for thought, uh, but kind of a good exercise in practicing what historians do on a daily basis, which is taking all this information and building arguments about it. So whoever you think are winners or losers in this situation, again, if you use evidence, you have your points to back that up, you know, your answer is right. Uh, and so that is the beauty of history. And that is why it, it you know, we, we study it. The, the facts, all that stuff, we have Google, we can find all that stuff on a minute's notice. We don't need to take courses to learn that material. What we do need the courses for is to make sense of it all. Uh, and then we can kind of take these things and, you know, use them as blueprints to look at similar situations in the future uh, and what should be done or, or how that might go and so forth. So we'll end this there. Uh, thank you once again for tuning in. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, I would ask that you do please uh, rate it. You leave a review if you want on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you may have come across this. Uh, and have a good one. Thank you.